the summer after I graduated from high school, we went on a mission trip to go put roofs on church buildings in Haiti. And for me, I'd done a lot of mission type work in the United States. We traveled to different church communities and worked in cities and towns and, and did, you know, local, you know, assistance kinds of things. But this was the first time I had ever gone to another country to do it. And at the time, we were told that Haiti was the most impoverished country in the world. And even today, even if it's not the most impoverished and the poorest country in the world, it certainly is one of them. It is a, a very tough situation for people to live in. The government is constantly changing leadership, things that will go through periods of, of production and, and improvement and then very quickly they turn away into selfishness and you know, bureaucracy that really keeps people from advancing and doing well and so we were going to go spend a week in Haiti and we were going to bring resources they could not get in their own country to finish some building projects for them and I remember as we had you know, traveled through and in the first day or so was very much a shock for me that while my family was not incredibly wealthy by that standard, yes, we were. You know, the idea of indoor plumbing, central heating and air, multiple, you know, sets of clothes that each person owns. I mean, we saw people, uh, specifically children, walking around naked because they own no clothes. We uh, saw in the city of Port-au-Prince, we went to an area where the children were uh, eating dirt cookies. <laughs> they looked like sugar cookies, but they were actually made of dirt just so they could have something to put in their bellies. This was a very, very shocking thing for me to see from my American mindset. But I remember about halfway through our time there, the first after the first few days in, that I began to get a little um, self-righteous. I began to think about all the great things we were doing. Look at us, you know, coming and sharing that we had worked hard to, to raise this money, to get these materials, to partner with local ministries in the area to provide not just the material, but also the, the knowledge that the people on our team, that I'm a, I'm a good gopher, as they say, I can go for this or go for that, but I am not a, uh, a construction, you know, handy kind of person. But we had people on our team that were, and we were building these roofs and we were, you know, putting together uh, benches and desks for the schools and doing a lot of, you know, really great things. But it made me a little puffed up. You know, look at the great things we were doing, how awesome we were, that we were helping these people in need and how amazing it is that we, you know, came all the way from our home. You know, we worked so hard to put all these things together. Look how great what we were doing was. And as I began to look inside my heart, I began to notice that the, the trip was really from my heart saying, wow, look at me, how great am I? I was trying to, to you, know, <laughs> be, you know, puff myself up a little bit, I guess, become egotistical. And when I recognized that, I realized, wow, I did not really come here to give something to these people. <laughs> they were actually giving to me. They were showing me, you know, my heart and my selfishness and my basically, you know, being spoiled in a lot of ways especially in my faith. And 
I realized that I didn't have a hands problem. What I was doing was great. I had a heart problem. That it wasn't what I was doing near as much as the reason why I was doing it. You see, one of the things that, that we have in the church, and, and honestly in people in general, is we have a tendency to move towards what I've often heard called as toxic charity. Toxic charity is where we are doing something wonderful for the wrong reasons. Since social media has become commonplace and a daily part of our of our lives, that it's very easy to say, hey, you know, boop, here's a selfie. Look at look at what we're doing. Even if it comes from a heart in the beginning of, hey, we want to spread awareness. We want to let people know what you know about this great activity, this great, you know, thing we're doing, these people that we're helping. But in reality, it actually makes us look good. <laughs> Because it becomes all about us. See me, look at me, applaud me. You see, I didn't have a hands problem. What I was doing wasn't the problem. It was my heart, the reason why. And by the end of our time there, God did a work in me and, and, and changed my heart to realize that, that what I was doing was not near as important as, as what I was receiving, that my heart behind it was what really mattered. And I'll never forget, even all these decades later, how that changed my life. It changed my perspective, and it changed my heart. You see, God cares a whole lot more about our heart than our hands. Are there tons of, of things that, that God wants us to do? Absolutely. But the problem that we end up having so often is we have a heart problem. And, and honestly, that's just human nature. Uh, and, and you know, preparing you know for this time, I, you know, look, I was looking at a lot of the you know, philosophical and, and psychological studies that have been done behind selfishness. And we talk about things like egocentrism, right? That belief that everything revolves around us. And we say, oh, you know, some of the therapists and, and, and psychiatrists and psychologists would say, oh, you see, it's 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 our Western mindset that everything in the West is individual. Right? It's, it's all about our autonomy, independence, being able to do things on our own. But in the East, you know, it's all about the community. It's all about the tribe. Right? It's all about the group. But even within that, when, I, when I've worked with people who have that Eastern mindset or have studied people that come from that Eastern mindset, you know, I think a lot about the um, you know, Disney movie Milan. It's a really great example of that, both the cartoon and the live action one, where it references Mulan's desire to sacrifice herself, right, to put her, to go to battle, to replace her older father who was, you know, had, has, was still suffering from his injuries from previous battles he had fought when he was in the military. And so she, you know, pretends to be a man and takes her father's place to, to be, you know, that, that the, the honor of the family is so, you know, mentioned throughout both of those movies, right, in the story of Mulan, that it's all about bringing honor to the family, the group. But when we look in the heart of even that story, we recognize that Mulan wasn't making that sacrifice just for the honor of her family. She really was doing it for herself, to prove herself, to make something of herself. You see, because of our sin nature, we are sinful people. We are selfish. It is all about us and getting what we want in our own desires. This is why we have to have that heart and that mind change that the Holy Spirit brings. Otherwise, everything we do has this tendency to be about us. And as we've gone through the Sermon on the Mount, 
and we've been studying each of these sections, I hope you're noticing the theme that Jesus is constantly bringing back to the front. Whether he's teaching about love for our enemies or the taking of vows or, you know, you know, being salt and light, all of these things are not about what we do near as much as it is the reason why we're doing it. Because God cares a lot more for our heart and about our heart than he does about our hands and what we do. And so if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 6 as we continue studying through the Sermon on the Mount. In our last time together, we looked at the idea of our enemies and taking revenge. And we learned that, you know, that we once again have that selfishness. We want to take revenge. We want to be the one that brings justice. We want to be the one that brings the punishment down on the evildoers, right? But the reality is that God wants to turn that into love and compassion. And yes, God is a God of justice. But man, when we begin to see people really as people, right, our heart changes. And that's where when we pick up in Matthew chapter 6, and like I said, if you've got your Bibles, we're going to be looking there as we start, you know, the next chapter in the Sermon on the Mount. And we've said this before, but it's important to remember that we added chapters and verses centuries after the Bible was put together. Uh, Some historians will say that the first breaking of the the books within the Bible into chapters was in 500 AD, but really the best evidence we have of this is around 1500 AD, where we have chapters and verses. And the heart behind this is wonderful. Like we've said before, it makes it easier to find things within the Bible and go to certain places and locations, but it also gives us a tendency to break things down into chunks and miss the context. You see, this is all one sermon. So even though we're moving into the next chapter, this isn't a separate message. This is all one message that Jesus is sharing. And so it's going to have that same theme of getting out of our selfishness and understanding how things work in God's kingdom and God's culture, right? So let's look at this together in Matthew chapter 6, and and we'll read it together. It says, Matt, watch out. Don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others, for you will lose the reward from your Father in heaven. When you give to someone in need, don't do as the hypocrites do, blowing trumpets in the synagogues and streets to call attention to their acts of charity. I tell you the truth, they have received all the reward they will ever get. But when you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Give your gifts in private, and your Father, who sees everything, will reward you. Now, the reason I made a point to say this is a continuation of a previous message is, at the first glance, it sounds like Jesus is contradicting himself. After all, back in chapter 5, when Jesus first started the Sermon on the Mount after the Beatitudes, Jesus said that we are the salt of the earth, right? We are the light of the world, right? That we were meant to be earth preservers, that we are meant to bring light in the darkness of this world. That doesn't literally mean we're walking around with flashlights and candles. It means that the way we live brings a culture and a morality and a way of living that is very opposite, very counter to the selfishness that the world's culture brings. And Jesus said this in Matthew 5, he said, you know, let your good deeds shine before men and glorify your Father in heaven. So he's saying, hey, make your good deeds public, let everybody see them. But then here in this passage, in chapter 6 that we just started, what did it say? Jesus said in verse 3, but when you give to someone in need, 
don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Give your gifts in private. Right? He's basically saying, don't let people see them. So what is Jesus talking about here? Is he contradicting himself? Is he, is he you know, saying one thing and then telling us to do something else later? No, what Jesus has shifted. You see, in the beginning, the people were were not interacting with culture. We talked about that before, right? In earlier, you know, sessions about salt and light, that the, the Jewish people had had pulled away from the world, right? The Roman culture. They had separated themselves out. The law of Moses was, was intended to do just that. It's to separate out God's followers from the cultures that surround them. But very much like the Church of America and really the church in the world has done today, that rather than impacting the world, we have turned inward, right? We begin to focus on ourselves and not impacting the world. So Jesus said, hey, go do good deeds with the heartbeat of saying, hey, when we live the way God wants us to, it changes everything to preserve kingdom culture. The problem is the heart. You see, what had happened in the religious mindset of the Jews in this period, and really it's just the human condition, right, is they were trying to take things on the outside to make a change on the inside. And that's what would happen when, in the law of Moses, of the sacrificial system, right? You take the lamb, you take the bull, and you sacrifice it, right? And the the life that is being sacrificed, the blood that is being spilled from that living being is being transferred onto the person making the sacrifice. So the word sacrifice comes from the idea of making sacred, making holy, right? making clean. That's where we get the idea of atonement from, right? the day of atonement, that we are atoned, that the price has been paid for our own sins. And what is shifting here is not that we're not receiving from the outside and putting it on the inside. When the Holy Spirit comes in and we do things God's way in the, in, the, in the new covenant that Jesus brought, in the kingdom, it's an overflow from the inside out rather than a pulling from the outside in. And the people in Jesus' day, especially the religious leaders, were finding their righteousness and their holiness by taking outside things and pulling it into themselves. This section brings up about Jesus' discussion of three big parts of the, the Jewish life. Right? There's three chief acts of Jewish piety, of righteousness, almsgiving, prayer, and fasting. To give an alms, this is not, we're not talking about the tithe, right? That the, in the law of Moses, you know, the, the command was to take from the very beginning of anything you get, whether it's a paycheck, whether it's a, you know, a harvest from a crop or anything like that, the very first produce, the first profits, 10% of it goes to God, gets given to the temple, right? Today, we, we give our tithes through the church, right? We take 10% of our income, and those are the training wheels, right? That's the basics. That's the minimum, right? And Jesus affirmed this. He said, you know, we should give the tithe, but we should do it from a cheerful heart, right? We should give because God has given to us, right? And so Jesus, once again, even in that passage, is about talking about our hearts. And so what we see as the the Jewish people were, were were not giving talking about giving their tithes right that's that's a that's a given but one of the extra things that was part of the three main ways that that Jewish people would show 
their their piety, their holiness, their devotion to God was in giving of alms, giving extra. We call that an offering now, right? If you ever go to most church services, we'll say, okay, now we're going to receive our tithes and offerings, right? The tithe is the minimum. But the offering is the going above and beyond, right? That we say, okay, above that 10%, I want to, you know, give of my overflow to, you know, this particular charity or this mission group or this area of our church community that we're working on, right? This is from the idea that what would happen is in, even in our day, we have them, but it was very common in the Jewish culture of Jesus' day, that people who could not work, maybe they were disabled, maybe they were blind or crippled, they would beg and they would sit outside in the streets in the marketplace and they would sit outside of the synagogues and the temple and they would beg now the reason for that is twofold one that it was you know something that would bring them income but it was also because that was as close as they could get to god's people the Jewish culture at the time believed that these people were being punished for something. That's why you know, we even see this when Jesus' disciples see a man that was born blind and they ask Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind, right? That there's this belief that if you receive bad, you must have done bad, right? If, you're, if you're something bad happens to you, you're being punished. And we even still have a tendency to think that way today. And so they, they could not come into the temple. They could not be part of the synagogue of the community of faith. And so they would sit outside and in the marketplaces and beg. And the, the law of Moses actually says that people should do that, that it was a command to, to give to the poor. He come in and say, hey, whenever you've harvested your crops, whatever you know, is left over, the, 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 they call it the gleanings, right? That as you're harvesting, that certain parts will fall to the side and, and the command in the law of Moses is to leave those there for the poor, right? We see that in the book of Ruth, that when Ruth goes into Boaz's field, he gives her extra, right? From, from the, you know, the, the, the leftovers, the gleanings, right? And so when this idea of almsgiving along with prayer and fasting are three key ways that a Jewish person would sacrifice. They would take something of their overflow of their time and their treasure, right? And they'd spend it to devote it to God. But just like we have that tendency to do, the religious leaders were doing it to, to receive their own applause. They would go into the, the marketplaces and they would give these things and they would want people to focus on them that toxic charity it was almost kind of like taking that selfie and putting it on social media hey look at what me i did you know i gave to the poor and i went above and beyond hey you know look at what i'm doing right i'm giving these alms i'm i'm devoting myself to prayer and fasting these three things that jesus is going to talk about but first let's look at this idea of giving to the needy and in this passage Jesus is, is trying to change the focus, and he compares, once again, the religious leaders. He says, you know, when you see someone in need, don't do as the hypocrites do, blowing trumpets in the synagogue and streets to call attention to their acts of charity. Now, the word hypocrite, right, we use that a lot in our modern English, and we know that it means somebody that is, is you know, doing one thing, but actually for a different reason, right? A hypocrite is a person that's one way at one time and changes who they are right? Depending on where they are. And it comes to the idea that in, in the Greco-Roman culture, hypocrites were actors. 
and they would put on plays. You see, to be a, a, a thespian is the fancy word, right? To be a professional actor was very difficult, and very few people could do it. And so, when they would perform these plays, there'd only be a handful of actors that could actually perform. The, the the entertainment to tell the story, so to play numerous characters with just a handful of people, they would change their masks. They would put a mask on that represented one character, and many times they would even behind their back have masks that were on sticks, and they would hold it behind their back while they portrayed different characters. And when they would switch from one character to the other, they would change their mask. And so the idea of calling someone a hypocrite became an insult to say you change your mask and play a different character when you go different places, right? And many times in my life, I've been a hypocrite. I can go to church and raise my hands and sing and praise God, and then come home and not be kind to my wife and children, right? I can be selfish. I can, you know, go and 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 preach sermons. Right, I can teach the Bible and then not apply it to my life. Right, I can mistreat others. I can have an attitude of selfishness and, and anger. Right, why you know and, and that overflows into you know out of my own desire for selfishness, and I can become a hypocrite. Jesus is saying, "Don't do like these guys are doing." Whether it's the religious leaders or the wealthy people, they say blowing trumpets in the synagogues and streets. That, that's that's not a literal term, you know. That this idea of blowing trumpets—that trumpets were announced to gather people. That when it was time for the Jewish festivals, they would get out these two silver trumpets, or they would, you know, blow the shofar, right, the, the ram's horn, and it would be a signal to the people to gather together for this feast, for this celebration. Or in the military, they would blow trumpets to gather military units together in different parts of the battlefield, and so a trumpet is to gather the people's attention and focus. And, and Jesus is saying, you know, they're not literally blowing trumpets when they do this, but they're bringing the attention to themselves. And Jesus says this: I tell you the truth, they have received all the reward they will ever get. And even today, when Jewish people give the sedeka, right, which means actually is the word means righteousness or justice, it's the idea that giving this money above your tithe will go to make the world more right, more just. That the people that are in need will be, you know, taken care of, and it will make the world more just. The people who have are struggling right now can receive from the sedeka, and it's a box. So even today, if you were going to a synagogue or even into the homes of of many Jewish families, they will have a sedeka box, right, where they would actually go in and do it. This is very different, right, from the giving of tithes. And so, as people would do this giving. Rather than doing it in private, they would do it in public and get their reward. Now it's interesting that in this passage, Jesus uses the the word that we translate for reward three times. The first two times that, G that we translate that word into English as reward, it's the Greek word that deals with wages. It's dealing with their paycheck, and they're saying that for doing this, like when Jesus says that.、Um, You know that if you do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others, he says you will lose the reward from your Father in heaven, the wage, what you're being paid for that. And then later he says, you know, I tell the truth, they have received all the reward, all of the wages, all of the pay that they will get. But in verse four, when Jesus says, "Give your gifts in private, and your Father who sees everything will reward you," 
that word is very different. You know, it's, it's no longer dealing with a paycheck. It's dealing with with justice. It's dealing with restitution. It's dealing with compensation, right? To make up for what you've given. And he's saying that your father who sees that in secret will reward you. So how do we find balance with all of these things? We need to once again recognize that God cares a lot more about what we do with our hearts than what we do with our hands. God cares much more about our heart than what we do with our hands. And they see this numerous times and numerous locations throughout what we call the Old Testament, right? That most of the prophets at some way or have something saying that. We see this in 1 Samuel, where Samuel talks about the Lord's, you know, does he get delight in burnt offerings, right? 1 Samuel 15, verse 22 says, you know, has the Lord has great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams, right? This idea that mercy is better than sacrifices. And Isaiah chapter 1, Amos chapter 5, Micah chapter 6, each of these references this idea that it's the heart that is more important. Mercy is better than sacrifices. Even in the Jewish custom of circumcision, right, the physical change of the body that's meant to help the people remember that that Abraham took God's plan in his own hands when he chose to have a child with his wife's servant Hagar where Ishmael you know was born and even to this day thousands of years later Israel is at war with Islam right that the, the Jews are against the Muslims you know in this fighting for Palestine and all these different things that have happened throughout the centuries why because Abraham was focused on the doing rather than the heart. And so even the act of circumcision is meant to change the heart, not just change the body. The body is just a symbol of what's going on on the inside to help people have a heart that says, God, I'm not going to do it my way. I'm going to do it your way. This is why Jesus says, when you give to someone in need, don't you let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. <laughs> There's no way to physically do this, right? Your Each hand doesn't have a separate mind. But it's a it's a metaphor it's a symbol right it's more like an idiom right it's figurative language that the the hands you know are, are so hidden from each other that one can't even see or know what the other one is doing why because god cares more about our hearts than he does our hands and notice what jesus says he says when you give to someone in need this is not a saying oh we're getting rid of the giving jesus wants to change the heart the idea here is is not an if you give to someone in need once again, in, in the Greek, you know, that this is, you know, translated into, this is not a, if you do this, the actual word means when, that's the expectation that this is going to happen. It's not if you give, it's when you give. The, the expectation is we should be charitable. We should give from a overflow of our heart because God has been so good to us. You see, the difference changes, you see, in, in the outside world. Right? And in all other system of religion, it's all about what can I do to take the outside and bring it in? That I need another source, that, that there's an outside source that I've got to draw from to make myself holy and righteous. But instead, when the Holy Spirit comes in, God changes our source. We don't go from the outside to change the inside. Because we've been changed on the inside, we change the outside. Right? We become agents of change from the overflow of our heart. You see, when our heart is full and we are doing things for God, then our actions are going to support that. It's just a natural overflow. You can't help it. 
it's just part of the, the, when this heart change happens. So Jesus addresses this idea of almsgiving, the first of the three. And he says, when you give to those that are in need, we should, when you give it, give it from the right heart. Do it in secret. Don't do it to celebrate yourself. And your father who sees everything will reward you. Now, the last thing we need to look at in our closing time here is when it says your father will reward you. This doesn't mean you're going to get that back. I've heard you know many pastors and many church communities teach this, right? That if you you know that if you give, that God's promise is to give you more in return. So if I you know give, I've heard some pastors call this seed money, right? Donate a hundred dollars to the church, and God's going to give you a thousand back, right? If you don't, you know, so the more you donate, the more you'll get, and so God's going to actually give you more money in return. You see, the reward is not a an increase of what you gave. If I give money, I don't get more money in return, but I do get a reward. I get blessed by God. And sometimes maybe that may be money, but that's not the point. The point is that God is going to reward us. God's going to recognize it. God's going to bring that justice through us and to us. Why? Because God cares about our heart more than our hands. He desires mercy more than sacrifices. So when we give, and we should give, when we give, let's give from the right heart so that our Father will see what's going on. We should do good deeds, and they should shine into the world like a city on a hill. But we should also be doing it from the right heart, not to glorify ourselves, not this toxic charity. Because you see, God cares so much more about our hearts than our hands. So let's begin to do a heart check and say, why are we doing what we're doing? Are we doing it to try to make ourselves holy and better? To make ourselves feel good? Or are we doing it as an overflow of a grateful heart that has been changed? Because God cares more about our heart than our hands. Be blessed.